friends, uh, welcome back to and how did that make you feel? My name is Rachel and in this podcast I interview people about their experiences with therapy and, co- and counselling to try and normalise How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? With Rachel Powers This is episode which is boggling my mind and I have been really feeling the last few days really grateful for this podcast and the conversations I've got to have and the people I've got to meet and that people are willing to share their stories with me. Um, so yeah, I'm delighted to still be here in this little corner of the pod world, putting the episodes out and delighted that you guys are here with me too. Um, so yeah, thanks for being here. So today's guest is Connor. And you can find Connor on Instagram at a mental health journey underscore. Definitely go and check him out. Um, He also has a few other mental health kind of projects going on and they're linked in the notes. Uh, And Connor talks about them as well. And I think you're all going to really enjoy this episode. Connor shares loads of really practical tools that you can do today that will help your mental health help how you're feeling if you're feeling just a wee bit jittery a wee bit all over all over the place I definitely have the last few weeks um there's some tools there that I think will be really beneficial and really easy to do Connor explains them really well um and I think it could really benefit you so sit back sit back relax and enjoy my chat with Connor Hey Connor, how are you this evening? Oh, not too bad, thanks Rachel. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, listen, so so great to see you. Thanks for thanks for coming on to the podcast. Um, do you want to tell everybody a bit more about yourself? Sure thing. Yeah, so my name's Connor Stone. I'm a 24-year-old from Dublin, as you can tell by my voice, living over in London at the moment. And I'm a startup founder as well as being a mindfulness and meditation teacher. So have a little bit of mix of uh, yin and yang in my life so uh yeah i think that kind of sums me up nicely great um and at connor i found you through your instagram account where you kind of highlight other people's kind of mental health journey which yeah you know was kind of similar to the podcast which i uh, i really enjoy those kind of wee profiles that you put up of people oh thank you yeah it was so for me like i, I kind of started sharing my journey in real time when i was going through uh, a, a tough period of burnout and, and, and depression in 2019. I just converted one of my cognitive behavioral therapy blogs into our journals into a blog and uh, just went from there. And, and I, I said at one stage, I was like, this is great. And like, you know, it's, uh, some people can connect to me and others won't, but it would be great on my page if I could share as many people's journeys as possible so that someone can find at least one person that they connect to because I think that's really powerful when it comes to acceptance and recovery and coping down the line oh absolutely yeah just to hear somebody else talk about an ex- yeah shared experience can be so so helpful but yeah let's 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 get into it so when, when did you first have therapy or see a counselor I first started therapy in 2017 uh August of 2017 and I was just on my way into final year of college and it was on the back of um, growing up, like I, I was massive into hurling and Irish sport for anyone who doesn't know. And I got a bad injury when I just a few months before that. So I was 19 at the time going 20 
and I had to retire from from hurling after it you know taking up kind of seven eight nine days of my week or, or sorry times a week as I tell you I don't have eight days in a week I'm not I'm not Superman but it went from that to nothing and soon after I, I started to experience panic attacks and um just anxiety on a day-to-day basis and luckily my mother is a psychotherapist and um she went into that profession after some difficulties of her own which I think is incredibly admirable and she recommended that I see a therapist and I you know I felt at that stage there was there's no other choice really I was in a really bad place and I was like right I may as well give it a go and uh yeah 2017 August that's when I began so if you're you know if you're if your mom was kind of already in that field, I assume that you maybe had a, quite a good idea of what what therapy was going to be, or what was your kind of preconceived idea before you went in? You assumed wrong. Uh, I I don't know. I didn't really know that much about therapy or psychotherapy, other than what you see in in like movies and TV shows. Yeah. And like, I suppose for my mother, she could never really divulge any of her patients' information or anything like yeah. that. So whenever I asked, "How was work?" or "How was your day?" It used to be like, oh, good, busy, or, you know, typical stuff that you get yeah. from from mothers or we say to our mothers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. All I knew is that I went in thinking this would be two or three visits. And I said as much to my therapist when I went in. I was like, listen, I know what it is. I, I, I just, you know, I just lost the sport that I loved. I'll fill the gap. It'll be okay. I'll be gone soon. And uh, it's nearly four years later now, and I'm still still seeing the same guy uh, every second Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shout out to Brian. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I had no idea what was going to happen when I went in. Really, I was going in a bit blind, but I feel like my whole world at that stage was kind of, um, it felt a bit cloudy. You know, I was clouded by anxiety, clouded by panic. And I just went in without even thinking what it would be like. Uh, and yeah, I know very much what it's like now after a few hundred sessions <laughs> yeah oh it's interesting to think about in, in that kind of terms like yeah I see my counselor like every two weeks and have done not the same counselor but yeah kind of four years so yeah hundreds of sessions hundreds of sessions <laughs> I know I know money well spent though money well spent yes. but yeah lots of errors I know I know we're nearly at like you know we're on our way to that perfection amount of errors in <laughs> therapy so that's the goal <laughs> be perfect as a therapy subject would be would be my main goal of the next few years yeah <laughs> but funny I I probably had exactly the same mentality when I first saw a therapist of yeah a couple like two three sessions and you'll fix me and I'll mm. be done and move on um and so that was a that was a big kind of shift of oh no this is I, I need to put I need to put the work in it's not a case of somebody is going to fix me they're gonna help me yeah do that kind of hard internal work yeah and I think the the thing is well is like the idea of being fixed or cured is something that people assume is a possibility and I think one thing I've learned from therapy is like there is no cure or fix it's just a a long journey of of trial and error and hopefully over time the error reduces and you're the way I see it is like your cancer is nearly like the rails are up in the bowling alley and they'll stop you from kind of going into the gutter but uh, in between they'll just guide you on how to how to move forward and uh hopefully you'll hit the pins at the end of it you know yeah. that's how i see them so when i'm in therapy i feel like i'm safe mm. in, in terms of i'm not going to go fall too far back into my old patterns of mm. like 
being a workaholic of suppressing all the bad things that are going on in my life um and I'll, I'll be able to get you okay once i kind of have my ears open and, and i'm and i'm willing to put the work in but when i don't have them could be a striker could be uh could be a complete gutter ball you know so <laughs> ball could have went over your head it's yeah. crashed into the person yes. behind you yes exactly <laughs> absolutely just interesting if you've been you know if you've been in counseling for a few years i'm always interested to hear how people have adjusted to kind of counseling and covid kind of times like did you make mm. a transition over to having your sessions online or i i was i was one of the early adopters of zoom counseling where uh-huh. um when i so i started counseling in 2017 as i said and went pretty much every week for uh, a year and i got into a good play i i suppose some of the things i learned in, in counseling was that you know losing sport for my big realization was losing sport for me wasn't just a loss in itself, but it was a loss of the suppression tool too that I used to use whenever anything oh. bad happened in my life. And mm-hmm. um, so when my parents separated, when people close to me passed away, mm. when my heart was broken, all of these different things, I'd be like, well, if I keep playing and I'm doing well on the pitch, then these issues do not exist. Mm-hmm. And suddenly at the age of, you know, 20, 21, these are all facing me. I don't have a suppression tool anymore. And it's like, right, I have to deal with them now. So I kind of dealt with a lot of that stuff and, and started talking to my family about these things that I never talked about before, talking to friends, doing my own journaling, doing mindfulness and meditation, finding new ways to exercise and, and all of that good stuff over the course of a year. And then I, I stopped going to therapy because I thought, oh, I'm essentially like, I'm in a good place now. It's all good. And I moved to the UK after I graduated from university and just kind of took my eye off the ball a little bit in terms of my well-being. I got sucked into that world of I'm going to be the best employee ever and I'm going to impress everyone here and going to put my hand up for every task and everyone's going to think I'm great. And, um, I, you know, I burnt out and... Um, I had to take three weeks out of work, you know, six months into my first ever job. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point I was like, okay, well, I, I need to, um, I need to prioritize me, like put, stop putting my hand up for things and work, like things I don't need to and work, stop doing all these co-curricular activities outside of work and actually make me my co-curricular activity. And, mm-hmm. and a big part of that was getting back into counseling uh, at the time every week. And, and the cancer that I saw back in Dublin, um, we got on very well. And I think when you find that bond with a counselor, uh, it's something that it's, you know, it's hard to replicate with others. So I decided that I would see him over, over zoom and Skype. So I've been doing that for, um, yeah, well, you know, oh, well over two years now, uh, on the Skype. So when it came to COVID, it, the, the only thing that was weird was that I went home to Ireland for lockdown. So it was actually just weirder that I was doing therapy around my family uh in my house talking about my family while they're around me so that's that was a challenge at times but um the zoom element and the connection issues been there been there done that (laughs) it was old hat for you by the time yeah yeah (laughs) by the time we came around but definitely a new challenge to like talk about uh a family member and you're in like a sitting room and you're wondering, are they going to walk in? Like, how loud should I talk? Should I, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, you just felt like you need to be careful, which I don't think is is great for counseling. It's supposed to be 
say anything yeah. that comes to your mind without judgment essentially mm-hmm. and that you know I've had a lot of guests on who you know started with a counselor and didn't really wasn't really vibing with them like mm, this yeah. isn't really kind of working and you know some people were able to like or knew already okay well I can find somebody else and some some people are like oh well I just assumed especially with the NHS system like if this is the counselor you're assigned they're like oh well Mm. I can't I can't then ask for somebody else but that that relationship and that trust is so important to kind of build with your counselor it's so so important then yeah to to help to help you do that kind of hard work you need the there needs to be a good relationship there with the counselor yeah and I, I think like I know a lot of people who um they they went to therapy after I did and they were really hopeful going into it and then the first session they didn't click or they didn't felt listened to or understood and they were like oh therapy's not for me and that's like going on one date and it doesn't work out and be like oh I'm never dating anyone ever again I'm, I'm gonna just gonna stay single like they, it's just that you know people connect with some people and not with others and I think and um, the great thing about you know the innovation over the last while is that there are accounts like you know therapyhub.ie like these mm-hmm. platforms where you can go in and kind of look at a therapist bio and set up like a 10 15 minute zoom call just to say hello before you ever book a a proper session and just from that hello you can probably work out i can be comfortable with this person i can be open with this person or didn't really i found that awkward i don't really want to get into an hour call with them and um but i completely understand if someone's been to one or two sessions with different counselors and it didn't click you would feel disheartened because it was a big step to to go in the first place so yeah um i would just say that it's nothing wrong with you like there definitely is a therapist out there for you just like there is a partner out there yeah. for you i will have a, we'll have a break off episode um <laughs> you know, a dating podcast yeah of course of course <laughs> so if you were you were what 1920 when you first went to went to um counseling was I know your mom obviously was in the field but amongst your kind of peers like were was mental health kind of talked about or you know did was it a difficult decision for you to come to like or were there barriers like feeling like oh well I don't want to talk about this or nobody else is doing this is this okay or yeah nothing was ever talked about uh you know which is which seems a bit mad because it feels like now everyone Maybe just because we're involved in this world as well, you know, yeah. that, you know, it's just kind of um, you're hearing your own speak and you just believe everyone else does too. And uh, but back then, uh, none of my friends had like, a, you know, I came from a group that would be good for talking to this stuff. It wasn't like they're they're mm-hmm. a bad group of lads or anything like that. It's just no one had ever mentioned going to counseling before. No one had ever mentioned like being you know sad over a long period of time or having anxiety or like I didn't even know what those terms meant you know I never self-defined until someone else said it to me and then I was like what what is this and then googling it and being like oh I have that and then that kind of started uh I suppose the label benefited me in some ways in terms of I was able to look up how can I help myself Mm -hmm. but uh those labels just weren't a thing in my in my world so uh, going to therapy I was the first person that I knew in my group uh, and a wider group and that that had gone to therapy. And it wasn't really until I started speaking about this stuff publicly that a lot of people reached out being like, hey, thanks so much for saying, like I've been to therapy and 
I thought I was the only one and stuff. And I was like, oh man, it's a shame that we couldn't have talked about this in school. Or yeah. maybe if I had heard something like that, maybe maybe it was more open and 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 there's conversations like that. Maybe when my parents separated when I was 15, maybe it, I could have felt like I could have talked to someone about it, or I, I could have known that there was some resources out there to help me. Cause uh I know when that happened. I didn't tell a single person, even like my best friends for over a year, which isn't healthy. I think it's getting a lot better. But at that time, it felt like I'm the only one. And I remember making like excuses for where I was going in between lectures and stuff. I was like, oh, I'm going to physio. And they're like, all right, cool. Yeah. But uh, it took me a long time to feel comfortable saying I'm going to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a bit of a brain kind of shift, isn't it? To kind of think, oh, no, this is feel safe to kind of talk about this or yeah know that it's that that the reaction of other people is gonna is gonna be okay and yeah it can it can take a while to get to get to that point it can and like I I think when you look at it I think a big part of the um I suppose the like the anxiety around telling people about this stuff Mm -hmm. is that if they don't know my full story and they just hear and go into therapy what will they think is wrong with me what will they talk about Mm-hmm. what will they assume so I think something that gave me power and comfort was actually when I started to blog and podcast and share mm-hmm. my story to give context to what I was going through so then I felt when I could say oh I'm going to therapy when I would say oh, I'm not drinking tonight when I would say I'm gonna have a decaf coffee when I would say oh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hang out with you I'm gonna chill out instead people would mm-hmm. people wouldn't ask questions because they're like oh yeah. yeah that's what he does that's his vibe he's looking after himself and that's cool yeah it's like you're saying there about kind of labels around mental health and diagnosis and yeah a lot of the kind of stigma around um or people making an assumption you're yeah it's it's i know for me as well that's really helpful to for people to have context about my experience as well um because yeah i i have issues with anxiety but i am not an anxious person in the slightest like i don't I don't, and I don't have a lot of the kind of textbook kind of anxiety mm-hmm. symptoms. So yeah. Sometimes even whenever I'm kind of talking about it, I'm like, oh, I feel like I feel like a bit of a, fr- a fraud sometimes because I don't, you know, have these kind of, yeah, the kind of textbook like, uh, oh, you know, rumination or overthinking or, um. So yeah, I find it really helpful to to talk about my context and as well, I think it really highlights that there's just so much nuance around this whole thing, like everybody's journey and everybody's experience but everybody's it's gonna you know it's so personal and so specific yeah Yeah. um that's like that 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 is the thing like we're all individuals so like having um catch-all terms like anxiety and depression aren't necessarily suitable but they can be helpful at times as i said just in terms of like if you don't understand what's going on and then you can do a bit of research into ways that can help because a lot of the time even though our our experiences and, and our struggles can be different, a lot of the time our coping tools can actually be quite similar, which is mm. the cool thing. So whether you have, like you might have a certain type of anxiety, I might have a different type, but something like mindfulness could help both of us yeah. in, in the same way. And and like, that's, that's great. And I think it's really important that like you talk about your experience as much as anyone else, like whatever their, the context is, because, um, think of the amount of people just talking about that what I said about sharing other people's stories on my page mm. think about the amount of people that probably have the similar anxiety to you but feel mm. like oh I can't talk about it 
because it's not bad enough to talk about. So I'm going to keep it to myself and suppress it. Mm. And again, that's when that's when things start to get worse because you feel like I can't talk about this. And there's a guilt about saying, oh, I need this for myself and I have this going on. And so that's why, like, everyone should talk about it. Like, You don't need to be on the brink of 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 the worst days of your life to start opening up about this stuff. And even on my page, like a lot of the stories aren't they're not all really dark um, moments that people came back from. They're not all people giving advice. Sometimes it's just, you know, I get stressed from work and and these are some things I do. And, you know, that's something that people connect with as well. Uh, yeah, because that's so relatable. Because mm. everybody will have, yeah, those kind of moments of when pressure turns into stress or, you know, work yeah. when everything's just kind of feel like. And yeah, I think we're getting slightly better at being more open and, and it not being seen, especially in the workplace, it not being seen as much of a weakness of, mm. of having to say, I'm not quite coping with this or I need to change some things, um, things up. And I think I think some of that stigma is is kind of especially well, I suppose it depends on what kind of field you're in, but I think certainly for me anyway, last year I yeah I kind of burnt out as well and and took some time off and thought it would just be a month and then it, you know well COVID happened and it turned into a few yeah. more yeah. but that like I there was so I felt so much kind of shame around having to take time off work because I just thought well this is just not something I ever thought that I would have to do um and yeah just like oh well how are my colleagues viewing me are they gonna think you know is my team gonna think that I can't manage mm. them anymore and um yeah and like that was stuff that I had to work through myself and just kind of well I don't really care what what to think of me but um I think that can be such a barrier for people to to asking for change or asking for support and work um because I know you mentioned there that you know in work that you know you had to take some time off as well uh you know was that was that a big decision for you to come to to take that time off yeah, and but again, it was kind of similar to the therapy in some ways where I felt like I was in a position where there was no other choice. You know, on my Jeep, I went to my GP to begin with and uh, they recommended it to me. And then I went to my like direct line manager and then we went up to the, the office manager. And uh, the, the, the thing was, uh, and this, this again kind of relates to that separation between personal and professional um, conversation around this stuff is, uh, I had been talking on my own, like social media and, and to friends for oh, over a year. Um, and I talked about it in like my interview for this job. But then when I got the actual mm-hmm. job, I never brought up my anxiety or my depression or my struggles or I never really asked for help with anything. And again, I, I got stuck into that old pattern of, of you know, putting my hand up for everything. And um the nice thing about having to burn out and leave work was that it gave me the opportunity to come back and start bringing that openness that I had in my personal world into the professional world. Mm-hmm. And I started sharing, I started writing my blogs and sharing it on LinkedIn. And um, the people that would reach out to me were like, say my dad works in construction, it'd be like his friends, you know, CEOs of businesses that you'd never think, would have cried in their life or anything. And then they'd message me and be like, oh yeah, I've been there. I've had my struggles. Hope you're keeping well, well done for you. And I'd be like, wow, okay, why did I wait so long to do this? And now like, if you look at my LinkedIn, like it is mainly about 
mental health is about mindfulness it's about my struggles my self-reflections all that type of thing and uh I felt when I went back to the office um, people on my team appreciated me more and I felt like I could ask people for help and ask people for more time. And again, that gave me more respect. So I think, especially with young people in the workplace, I think everyone goes in thinking, okay, I can't ask any questions because I should know this already and can't ask for help because I should be able to do this already. And I, I should be work, like more impressive than anyone else who starts at the same time as me and I should be trying to work up the ladders. But the thing is, I think as you progress, you start to really respect the people who come up to you and like, how do you do this? How do you do that? Yeah. Learn about it, are able to do the job better in a week's time and catch up on those few weeks that they're learning. And also the people who can say, hey, can you can you help me with this or struggling a little bit with this? Is the deadline actually tomorrow? Or can I push it to next week? And then a lot of the time the reality is that deadline was just came up out of nowhere and it's like yeah of course you can get it to me next week it's not a big deal um so that's where I got to in work and, and I actually got to a stage where when the pandemic hit because I I became a mindfulness and meditation teacher kind of in that second year of my work mm-hmm. and um I felt like I was able to actually pay my company back for the time and and, and the patience that they had given to me uh, by um, doing mindfulness workshops every Wednesday morning throughout the whole uh, first lockdown with them. And um, it was just cool how things went around in circles because um, if they hadn't given me that patience, I probably would have left the job and moved back home yeah. to, to Ireland, you know? Mm-hmm. I Funny, because my, my job at the moment is I work for a mental health charity, but I uh, run or manage the kind of team that do training for organizations around mental health and well-being for employees and 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 that's been really nice because I've been able to kind of talk about my experiences of being an employee and being off sick and then also being a manager and managing people who have been off off sick but something that we're always talking about is yeah it's great do this training brilliant tick a box get a mental health first aider trained up great but until the culture kind of changes until it's a more positive culture so that's great to hear about organizations that you know as you're saying gave you the space that you needed and um yeah and even you know as you coming back in and being more open and talking about it like it just all adds up to really creating that more positive environment which then ripples out to the yeah. whole you know from your colleagues you know it's just the impact you just don't know the kind of impact that that has and, and, and that's the thing I think what I've learned is that um you know no matter what position you're in a business you know don't feel like be be aware that you can impact change so if you're passionate about this stuff just chat to someone and, and, and recommend a few changes or or, or just say like I, I know um, even in this, like no matter the size of business either. So that was with a, a large organization that I was doing like the mindfulness workshops and stuff like that. But um, I've worked with with startups since then. And we did things like, you know, walking Wednesdays where you take, um, you know, your, your Wednesday stand up meeting on a walk around outside and half an hour of it's talking about work. And then half an hour is just talking about normal life or hanging up and continuing your walk. And we had like front Fridays and we had like, um, mindfulness Mondays where I would do a mindfulness workshop and stuff so like these, there's there's loads of little small things that you can do as well that help to build the culture and like sometimes it's as or even more positive for it to come for someone who isn't a manager or or isn't someone who kind of has skin in the game because it shows that 
I'm not doing this to tick a box. I'm doing this because I actually care. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I want my colleagues and me to, to have more enjoyment in work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we went on a bit of a workplace tangent there. but We have, um, yeah, but important, important. Yes, yeah, really important. Really, really good stuff. Um, but just thinking about um, your kind of counselling experience, have there been particular kind of methodologies or particular kind of tools that your counsellor has used that, you know, you find beneficial? So my, in, in like in therapy for me, like it's very much just conversational. It's not... Yeah. Um, there wouldn't be a huge amount of structure to it in, in, in that sense. But um, I have also done cognitive behavioral therapy um, with the NHS. Mm-hmm. And I, I love it to bits. Uh, and, and I see the great thing about CBT, I find, is that it's something that I learned the skills, learned the tools, and now I bring it with me. And I don't need to go back to a cognitive behavioral therapist necessarily, but I go to my psychotherapist. And at the same time, I do my own journaling and, and, and kind of CBT exercises. And I think the one that I, I don't do it as much anymore because I feel like I don't need it as much. And I, I think that's important to recognize as well is that people's well-being routines can change over time because we'll, we'll cha- we will change over time. And that's the yeah. thing. We'll need different things at different points. So what worked for me two years ago isn't necessarily going to be what I need right now. Um, but two years ago, like I've always been a chronic warrior. Um, I'd always be someone who, if I had like a, a stomach bug, I, I think I was dying if, and um, my parents weren't back from the pub when they said they were. I thought that they were dead. A lot of it evolved around death. It was quite bleak, catchy. But, you know, I was big. I was a big warrior. Mm. And um, at, at that time of burnout, it was very hard to switch off. And mm-hmm. it was constant and it was very tiring and very difficult to, to sleep even. And uh, very difficult to be awake, you know. It, it was a struggle. And the thing that really helped me was um, worry time. Have you ever done worry time? Oh, so well, you explain it and I'll... Okay, so essentially I had a little notebook um, that I bring around with me and whenever I had a worry that was on my mind, I would write it down in this notebook and I'd set an alarm in my phone for every weeknight and uh, say for, I think it was like eight o'clock. And sometimes I would miss that and I'd do it earlier, do it later, I'd miss a day, but that's, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be good enough at this. And um, the thing about writing it down was like, it felt like, okay, I can't deal with this right now because I have other things to do, but I'll get back to this later and it's penciled in so I can I can move on with my day. Mm-hmm. And that settled with me okay. And I was able to move on a little bit. It took a bit of practice, but it worked. And then at eight o'clock, then when my alarm went, it'd be like, right, let's go back to the, the worry and uh, notebook. And I'd look back and I, some of the times I, I'd look back and I'd be like, that's so stupid. Like, why are, why are you worried about that? I can, And then when there's a worry that I'm not worried about anymore, either I can crimple up the page and shout in the bin or I can scribble it out. And then for the things I'm still worried about, I'm like, yeah, that's still on my mind. That's still at me. It has been for a little while. Then I just worked through the, the worry tree and um, essentially just asked myself, like, okay, is there anything, like, define it? What's the root cause of it? Is there anything that I can do about it? If there's not, write that down and be like, there's nothing I can do about it. And then I tried to change my focus of attention and, and do deep breath, go for walks and like that. But actually writing down on paper, I can't do anything about this issue. Again, is is it kind of feeds into my subconscious. I'm like, okay, well, I can't worry about this because there's nothing I can do. And then if I can, then it's about creating a game plan. It's like, right, what can I do? When can I do it? How can I do it? 
And then I just pencil it in. If I can do it right now, then I do it. And then I write that down. And I'm saying, I'm done with that. I did this about it. And then I change my focus of attention. I do my walk, listen to my music, do my breathing. Or if it's like three in the morning and I'm worried about my granddad, I'm like, well, I can't call him at 3 a.m. or else he'll be worried about me. So I was like, grand, I'll call him at 10 a.m. tomorrow and I'll just put that on my phone. I'll write that down. I'm calling granddad at 10 o'clock tomorrow. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, that's sorted. Now I can change my focus of attention and get back to sleep. And uh, so that that's worry time. And uh, over the course of, I did that pretty much every day for three months. And over time, the list just started to get a little bit smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's why I feel I don't, really needed mm. anymore but i know it's there for me and i know how good it was for me back then and and uh yeah that's that's kind of my favorite uh yeah little therapy exercise yeah i i i've do something similar uh, uh like yeah i worry about things well i'm not a, i'm not a massive worrier but yeah if something's playing in my mind I'd be like okay i'll worry about that when i'm in the shower first thing in the morning and you know yeah so like having a defined kind of space but I've never kind of dug a bit deeper. What's the root cause of this? Or it's that that's a great, that's really mm. good um, kind of tool. I'm the same for my brain. Like I do a lot of journaling, especially the last kind of year. I used to journal like daily when I was an emo teenager. Um, but yeah, the last kind of year, it's just so helpful to get the stuff out of my brain yeah. onto the page and just kind of unravel some stuff. So yeah, it's and it's so practical and it seems so simple and so straightforward. But until somebody kind of explains, you write it down, then you know you've got a plan in place. And like, oh, well, this makes so much sense mm-hmm. and can have such a big impact. Yeah, it's even like what I do, like at the end of my work day, I'm like, I just I in my calendar I put in when I'm going to do certain so it's not just calls, it's like mm-hmm. I will do, I will send this email tomorrow, I'll put that in, in my calendar. And then it just means at the end of my day, I can switch off because I'm like, yeah, no, that's booked in. Everything's everything's taken care of by future me and that will be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's similar with the, with the worry stuff. It's like, right, well, I'm going to look after that at 8 o'clock tonight and I can switch off. And then when I go and process, I'm like, there is something I can do about that, but not right now. So I'm going to do that at that time when it's booked in and now I can switch off and I can watch watch friends or I can you know go to the cinema or, or yeah. go out for dinner and, and not have this on my mind mm. and sometimes it's easier said than done but I think a lot of this stuff it just it involves effort and it does involve some some discipline and and you know I think with your mental health it, it is important if you're in a bad place to like really commit to it and it will pay off um mm. I, I think there is there is a, some although it can be seen really unfair at times there can be a meritocracy to your mental health where if you put the work in and and um, you try to look after yourself, you will start feeling that little bit better. Especially when, as, as I said, you have those uh, those rails up at the bowling alley with the yeah. professional helping you along the way. And sometimes it can be, you don't even realise that you're not putting the work in. Like you don't realise suddenly, I'll realise like, oh, I spent way too much time on my phone today. That's why I feel a bit jittery or yeah haven't been sleeping very well or yeah haven't haven't been to yoga in a week like you know I've let I've let the kind of simple like foundations of my mental health for whatever reason I'm too busy or of other things you know not excuses that I've been able to use in the last year but your life you feel like oh there's other things pulling you other directions and those kind of foundational things 
and you're maybe a couple of weeks down the line you're like oh well this this is why yeah this is this you know this is probably why I'm I'm not not feeling not feeling tip top and you know a lot about those kind of tools you're talking about and something that I've worked a lot on um in counseling is just even getting to a point where acknowledging the you know or validating it's okay to worry about those things whereas previously I just would have been like no I'm not you know I'm not I'm not stressing about this I'm going to suppress it and just pretend it isn't there whereas now it's like recognizing okay well that is how I'm feeling about it and it's okay to feel like that and there's things that you know tools that you can put in place to kind of help you navigate that but that's Mm -hmm. been a big big part of my kind of journey of my experience of of having to like learn that it's safe to feel these kind of hard emotions and and yeah put some kind of tools and boundaries boundaries around it yeah couldn't have put it better myself yeah i've been there and uh yeah because for so long it just was like oh i don't feel any of these hard emotions i am so healthy (laughs) i know i know i was like no i'm not (laughs) And, and again that is that is where you know having like, like if when when you've been in counseling for a while as well i feel like your therapist can spot those things in you as well and like they can it's nice to sometimes get the heads up and like maybe it triggers a bit of self-reflection that helps you to understand oh yeah so i'm actually i'm falling back into some old patterns here maybe i can stop myself now before i get to say for me if i go too far I'll get to that burnout panic attacks phase that I got to at the start of my counseling uh, career. And, uh, and, and, and when I was six months into my first job, I, but I find now that talking to my counselor um, and it is, it is a process of it's sometimes it's easy to like tell a half truth to your counselor. Cause you're like, you want to feel like I'm doing really well and stuff. And I want them to think it and you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Cause you, a lot of the time you know this stuff already. But when you can give the truth to your counselor, a lot of the time they can actually say, listen, I've seen this before. Uh, you know, have you done this and this? And maybe it'll trigger you to to do something that stops you getting to that that really tough place. And um, that that's always a huge benefit. If you can avoid that really tough spot, it's going to be a lot easier to get back to, um, to a good, healthy you. Getting back to when you're at your most healthy and most able to kind of be be your kind of I don't want to say best self because that's a, another terminology yeah, but, up there with journey but, but. The, the way I see it is kind of like you know the weighing scales is at least even you know what I mean between mm. like your stresses and your coping tools whereas a lot of time it just that or sorry I, I always tilted the wrong way back but if it's heavier <laughs> you'll go this way and no one can see this anyway but you know you're <laughs> you just want to you just want to keep it at least level you know give yourself a chance of of enjoying it, all the things you do. Cause a lot of us want to achieve and stuff. We're not going to be able to live a life with no stresses altogether, but it's just mm. about giving ourselves the best chance by, you know, doing a little bit of one of my favorite journey tools as well. It's called stresses versus coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. You draw two circles, one labeled stresses, one labeled coping. And in the stresses box, you literally write down all the stresses you've had in your life, big or small over the last few weeks. And then in coping, you write down all the tools you have that kind of help you to cope with these things or relax anything from, you know, meditation to talking to a friend to listening to a song. And what you do is you read back over and kind of just acknowledge all these things that have been going on slash that you have in your locker. And then you highlight the stresses that you could potentially take away. Maybe they're optional. Maybe there's 
things you can ask for help for. Maybe there's worries that you can't do anything about that you can do the exercise I talked about earlier with. And then with coping tools, be like, oh, I do have yoga in my locker and it does help, but I haven't done it in like five weeks. All right, we'll circle that. And you can kind of create a bit of a game plan for yourself to um, to give yourself the best chance. So I call it a bit of a like a, a mental health self audit. Mm. So I like doing that every every few weeks, you know, just yeah. to just to check in. Yeah, absolutely. Such such a practical, like easy to do. You know, you can do it not, you know, if people are listening like that is something, a massive takeaway that they can just do. And yeah, as you say, a bit of an audit just to kind of check in and and see, well, where, where are the small things that I can kind of change or um, can, yeah, can do to make a big, make a big impact. Um, and so how, like, how did you, was it your kind of counseling experience that then led you to kind of look into or become kind of mindfulness coach or what was your kind of path to get there? So yeah, like counseling essentially allowed me to be open about this stuff with anyone, <laughs> you know, everyone really sorry, not just anyone, but like, you know, everyone, my, my mother's partner uh, bought me a book for Christmas in 2017 uh, called mindfulness finding a um, finding peace in a frantic world and it, it's the book that's had the most impact on me in my life and uh, I think it will be hard to top mm. and it was essentially like the first half of it is going into the the logic behind mindfulness and how it can act like how biologically it can impact us and and help to kind of reshape and rewire our brains um, which for someone who who is quite logical, like doesn't, you know, taught a lot of things in this space was airy fairy. It helped me to engage with it. Mm-hmm. And then the next half is essentially an eight week MBSR course on mindfulness based stress reduction course, which is what you have to do before you you do your your mindfulness meditation teacher training anyway. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I learned all your kind of your basic tools like your your body scans, your sound and thought meditations, your mindful walking you're uh, exploring difficulty meditations all this stuff and it was the first thing outside of talking therapy that really connected with me and that I I, I really loved and I don't like headspace and stuff before like the apps and it just didn't really connect to me that much like I, I just didn't feel like I understood what I was trying to do and this book just helped me to understand that it came with like a guided uh, cd and I, I uploaded it to my phone and I just listened to it every day then when it came to that time after I burnt out when I was doing the CBT and the and the therapy and stuff, mindfulness again became a big part of, of my day-to-day life. So I got really big into breath work, things like the Wim Hof method, mm. things like transformational breath work, um, and then like things like just body scans and mindful walking and just getting out into nature without like music or anything on and, and appreciating it. I started, I guess when I started like blogging and podcasting and stuff, I decided that um, I don't want to just, you know, say I don't want to give advice without coming from an educated background necessarily. So I when I talk about personal stuff, I, I always try to just come from my own personal point of view. Um, but then I was like, there's going to be some limits to that. So I was like, I'd, I'd love to be able to teach some people the tools that I've learned that have really helped me. And then I decided to become um, mindfulness meditation and, and a breathwork teacher and i'm training to be a, a yoga teacher at the moment as well so oh, class. um yeah so just just different ways that i suppose it's how i kind of connect with my mother in in that sense you know we both kind of took some difficult things and channeled into a way that hopefully can help other people so that's that's how it came about and um 
I've always wanted to do something creative. So now one of my favorite things is just coming up with with new meditations and stuff and um just seeing what makes sense and uploading on my podcast and seeing seeing what takes. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. been really cool. Um mm-hmm. and then even in my in my job outside of that, I work for uh a mindfulness running company. So it's like an app that you can do like mindful runs on, whether it's a body scan run um reflection run breathwork run and, and walks as well so i get to like design all the content for that uh-huh. um which is really cool uh-huh. so um yeah it, I, I wouldn't say it was planned in any way shape or form it just kind of happened uh nice and organically as a lot of these things do mm-hmm. uh what, what kind of yoga do you do i all t- I, i'm i I'm i've tried all types but my favorite is definitely like yin or restorative i'm a real flake out guy um so like you know anything that involves a lot of lying down is yes. my favorite type of yoga <laughs> although like i do like a workout at times but my yeah. favorite bit is always the shavasana at the end so that kind of tells a lot about me <laughs> and um if you when my classes come on there'll be a lot of shavasana so uh yeah that's something to look mm-hmm. out for mm-hmm. uh, i am i love hot yoga oh nice nice yeah. yes and i've it- only done it twice and wow fair play it is yeah <laughs> Yeah, and with the last couple of weeks, because obviously, you know, we haven't been able to be in the studio right in the last couple mm. of weeks. So I've been like just cramming in as many classes as I can. Um, and then this week, whenever it's been really warm, like this was the when did, when did it start? Like two weeks ago, whenever it was the bank holiday, it was really mm. warm. And normally I'm at the point now, like I've been, you know, doing it for a couple of years. The heat doesn't particularly bother me, but that was like the first time in a while where like it would make me emotional <laughs> I'm so like oh it's so disgustingly warm like oh yeah. it, like yeah. it makes makes me want to cry but um yeah my my studio um now I'm going on a yoga tangent yeah that just before the last lockdown they had started doing Vindi in so it was like half of vinyasa class and then Ooh. half the last half nice. was like kind of you know I'm gonna rob that for that that's the type of teacher I'm gonna be yeah like four Vindian. minutes of pigeon and those kind of things nice um which yeah was was really good but I did I went to a, a slow class last night um but again with the heat like it was like yeah. still still yeah the thing is, for anyone I think with the heat at the moment any class is a hot yoga class isn't yeah. it, you know so <laughs> Um, people can get a little taster for it now and then over the winter they'll know if it's something they want to go back to or not yeah oh bloody love hot yoga i'm just very aware that we've been not goodness yes nearly an hour i've been um we've been lost lost in the chats (laughs) so it's all about and i like just as well the yoga came up at this point and uh, i'll be sensible if we'd started talking about yoga half an hour ago you know i could still be <laughs> it would have been a full yoga pod yeah yeah <laughs> all, all my my yoga chat but oh yes what i wanted to ask you before i got well led by the yoga like if people want to work in to find your podcasts and work in to find like if they're interested in finding out more about the kind of teaching that you're doing work in to find you yeah so um you can get me on instagram at a mental health journey underscore or just get on um, my website at mentalhealthjourney.com and then my podcasts are um, the Mental Health Journey podcast is where I kind of talk about this kind of stuff in terms of, uh, you know, my journey with mental health and, and different things that I've learned around that, whether it's therapy or medication or alcohol or social media, all that stuff. And um, then the other podcast is called The Mindful Minute, 
and that is just short um mindfulness exercises that you can do anywhere anytime and hopefully you bring them into your your day-to-day life to feel that bit better so yeah that's me in a nutshell cool mindfulness like i've again i kind of would dabble the old time with headspace i would do a lot of kind of breathing i it's my like go-to to love to kind of bring bring myself back back into myself but i've never done any any kind of real specific kind of mindfulness um like yeah activities or tools or yeah apart from like the kind of mindfulness and meditative aspect of yoga Mm. um so i think that's the thing that um like people are probably a lot more mindful than they think or like they do things that are are mind because mindfulness in it like in its most simple form is an awareness of your present experience without judgment for yourself or that experience and the way to come into that is just with an anchor into the present moment and your anchor in that case is your breath, you know, it could be your breath. It could be any of your senses, you know, it could be what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you taste, what you smell. And um, they're accessible to us anytime. So like when you are at the bus stop and you notice a car going by and at that moment, you're not thinking about worries in the past and the future. That's a moment of the mindfulness. Mm. Like when you're taking a deep breath, when you're nervous for a call, that's a moment of mindfulness. And like, the thing is that, there are techniques that can give you a structure if you want it, but uh, sometimes the, the the nicest forms are those that are are a bit more organic and you yeah. know you don't have a structure. And um, I think that's the thing that people always put mindfulness and meditation together. Whereas meditation is a way to come into a mindful moment, but mindfulness doesn't have to be meditation. That's mm. the way I like to look at it. Yeah, it's it feels a lot more approachable maybe than thinking, well, I need to sit down and meditate for. 45 minutes mm. whereas mindfulness seems a bit more like oh yeah I can be mindful when I'm doing the dishes or as you say kind of you know waiting for the boss yeah it's a good a good kind of tool well have you have you anything else like that you wanted to say in the conversation or anything else you wanted to highlight or anything before I wrap things up I, I, just, I just say to anyone if, you, if you're interested in going to therapy you know have a chat with your GP or go on to some of those resources like therapyhub.ie if you're in Ireland and um, yeah you know just remember that if your first therapist doesn't work out, they'll, they'll, there will be someone out there for you and um, just keep trying and fair play for going in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I hope it works out. Um, I, yeah. So my, my final cheesy question that I end all my podcasts with, uh, Con- Connor, how is this, how has this made you feel? It's made me feel uh, kind of nos- like this kind of warm nostalgia kind of for the journey that I've been on uh, and for like the people that have, helped me along the way and stuff you know just talking about people like my mom and, and my counselor and uh-huh. um I, I didn't bring her up but like just thinking about the support my partner and stuff has given me over the last four years I can't imagine yeah. I've always been easy but um like with with my old company I feel like the patience they gave me has allowed me to be a better like son and, and a partner mm-hmm. and friend and stuff like that and uh hopefully um it will pay back you know and I, I can give back to them through being there for them and being able to be resilient through difficult moments in their lives and stuff like that so and uh, that's how it's made me feel so i really appreciated the chat right so thank you for having me on oh that, that i've loved our conversation like so much practical like advice and tools and kind of stuff that people can take away and apply to themselves straight away and yeah just you know hearing about your journey yeah it's been so good so good to chat to you been a few 
few episodes since I rambled on at the end um, and gave you some book and podcast recommendations. I hope you've missed it, but <laughs> here it is. Uh, book recommendation. I've gone for a slight holiday theme um, as we're coming into the summer months. Um, so it's a book called The Last Resort and it's by Northern Irish author Jan Carson. Um, and it's based in Ballycastle, which is a little small town on the coast of Northern Ireland. And it's all set in a caravan park. <laughs> so that's that's the kind of holiday I'm probably going to end up on this summer. Um, somewhere in Northern Ireland in a caravan. And it's probably going to rain the entire time. But this brilliant book. Uh, really enjoyed it. Bit of magical realism thrown in there. Um anything kind of set or written by a northern irish person or northern Ar- or an irish author i'm a big fan of um no i'm biased obviously because i am also northern irish but i think we do have an excellent turn of phrase which is very enjoyable to read um and the last resort was also i think it was book at bedtime on radio 4 or maybe it was um, the morning kind of serialised drama. So another of my favourite things, Radio 4. So highly recommend that, The Last Resort by Jan Carson. And my podcast recommendation is called, excellent name, almost as good as the name of my podcast. It's called I Can't Believe It's Not Buddha. And this is a really interesting podcast with the comedian Lee Mack who I'm a big fan of, and I think the the other fella is his writing partner, called he's called Neil Webster. Um, so very, very funny. Both of them are quite into meditation and exploring kind of Buddhism and spirituality, but it's all very relaxed and very, uh, like, neither of them profess to be experts or really know what they're doing. Uh, but kind of they're chronicling their their experiences of um, meditation. Um, So yeah, I mean, I mainly listen to it for the comedy, but they do, they have have some really interesting conversations around it all. Um, uh, So yeah, give that a go. I would say there's about 40 episodes, maybe go back about five or 10, because I know this is ironic coming from me, but the last few episodes, the sound quality hasn't been very good. which I know is really rich coming from me if you've listened to the first um, three or four episodes where my cackling nearly deafens you. Um, but those are my recommendations. Um, I hope you're all doing well in this continuing to be strange time that we are all living through and experiencing. Um, so please go easy on yourselves. Um, take it gently. Look after yourselves. And I'll see you back in a week or two with another episode. Bye. How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? With Rachel Bauer.